When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Another guy, Imanaga. I feel like I, I, I'm getting good at that. I better be yeah, getting good at that. Bad. I, I'm not entirely sure how to say it in the first place. He's a lefty. Also performed pretty well at WBC. Not getting the hype that Yabamoto is certainly. Um, but still, a major league pitcher who is going to pitch in the major leagues. Yep. What is what is your take on him? Yeah, yeah. So with him, the thing that jumps out is that he had some weird home run issues in MPB that also manifested in a really small sample in the World Baseball Classic. The underlying stuff looks really good. Like I, all the shapes, I think look pretty solid. He's a lefty. The hangup here is that he's thirty, so he's in a similar situation to a guy like Kodai Senga, I think, for the most part. And this gets back to the point of like, do you want to look at something that's more underlying based? You know, like a stuff plus. You run that all through a stuff plus, and it looks great. There's a ton of carry on the fastball from the lefty. You don't really see that a ton. You know, the velocity's fine. Um, he throws slider, like a more of a sweeper, more than a guy like Yamamoto does. That's actually his primary off speed. And then he also has a splitter, which is pretty good pitch as well. Um, that is not as, doesn't have as much of that arm side run as, uh, Yamamoto's does. Um, not a lot of lefties throwing splitters as well. You know, like Chapman is one that jumps off the top of my head. I'm not even sure. I'm like McClanahan, I mentioned, although it's target as a changeup. There's another guy throws a splitter, but Again, like I, I brought, I have to be fair, right? In Yamamoto's video, I brought up the fact that I didn't think the fastball generated a ton of swing and miss. And that was one of my hangups with him. With, and that was a results based hangup, right? It's like, okay, this pitch isn't generating swing and miss in MPB. When you come to the States, I, I don't, I'd be shocked if it generates better swing and miss in the States than it did in MPB. And a similar situation comes up with Yamamoto. It's like he gave up a lot of home runs. He had like a homer per nine in, uh, in MPB and he gave up two in the w World Baseball Classic, if I'm remembering correctly. And regardless of how good the shapes are, that is a little concerning to me. I'm not entirely sure if there's something going on there just from a visual standpoint. Oftentimes, it's very hard to capture that stuff. You know, if you think about like, okay, why is this guy underperform or overperform stuff? Plus, you have to consider other variables, right? Stuff plus is an end-all, be-all. I think it's a really powerful tool. But at the same time, there's always ways to kind of circumvent it and understand why a guy might be underperforming or overperforming. And with Monica, that's the thing that jumps out, right? He gave up a lot of home runs. Like an MVP too. And he gave up home runs in the States when he came over here. So that's the hang up there. It's just like, I don't, I probably have to dig a little more and maybe understand why. Is it just, there's not the same level of innate command. 
Is it just that the movement from how he throws is relatively predictable? That's another thing you could think about is like if a guy's super heavy over the top, he's a little over the top in terms of how he gets behind the ball, creates that backspin and carry. He's got a lot of carry on his forcing fastball. You know, one of the things you'll think about in the front office as you look at movement is like not all movement is created equal, right? Like break off arm angle is something to think about. Like a Justin Steele with the Cubs is a great example. Like he gets a lot of cut on his forcing fastball stuff that you don't expect it. Stuff Plus says it's just an average pitch, but – it's so odd from the slot he's throwing that everyone stays off barrel on it. The inverse of that is like if you're so over the top that everyone expects you to have a lot of carry on your fastball, then like the second you watch him one time, you're like, yeah, okay, it's a carry fastball. Like there's no other pitch for him to throw from that over top of a slot. His hand gets behind the ball so well that the pitch is just going to have carry. So from the jump, you're able to understand that I have to swing above this ball, right? Like major league hitters have gotten a little better at swinging at high carry fastballs and doing damage against him. That's my theory right now as to why he's giving up as many home runs as he's giving up. I don't know if a major league org has a different theory or if they think they could adjust something with him. I'd be curious to see where the splitter usage goes. And at the same time, like I like him. I think he's a reasonable pitcher. Like I don't think this is a guy that you slot in as a three or a two that you're hoping Yamamoto is. I think this is more of like a back end guy that you want to get 120 to 140 innings out of, you know, and maybe by the time it hits the postseason, he turns into more of a long reliever and you match him up. And, you know, splitter, again, is like a huge game changer um, for any pitcher, I think. And the fact that he has one and that it's good and that, you know, it's going to be out of zone a lot, but a lot of splitters are out of zone. But the fact that he could just use it generally, I think, is important. So I, I like him. I think he's a good pitcher. I, I am surprised, again, looking back, that he's going to get probably more AAV than Sengen did. Like, of course, everyone would take Sengen over Monica right now, yeah. um, even though they're similar age. But I think he, I think he'll have an impact on a major league team. I, you know, maybe it flies a little under the radar um, from the rumors I've heard. I think the Cubs are in on him. I think some other teams are as well. Um, it's rare to get a lefty with some carry and a splitter, so I think that's unique. It's just a matter of figuring out the home run problem and and understanding why it's happening and maybe flipping up the mix to figure out what's more optimal for him. Maybe it's more slider and splitter. I think out of the pen, he'd be really interesting as like a sweeper to lefties guy and then a splitter to righties. You know. Throw those pitches more than he was throwing his fastball over an MPB, which I think it was around 45 plus or so. So he's throwing it a bit, you know, bring down the fastball usage like 38% and see what happens. But I could totally see him being like a funky impact reliever on a guy that just can throw either hand in this off because he's throwing a nasty sweeper and he also has the split. Well, I mean, people who, you know, it, it's, it's a tough one for these guys coming over. I and mean, listen, it's not a tough one. They're making a lot of money and it, it's, you know, they're getting sure. a great opportunity, but because of and this is why i think that lance like well, what you're doing is so important like let's let's take a step back and understand exactly what's going on here because anybody who signed i go back to like a coochie like, like oh my goodness sure, like sure. this guy is going to be look at look, they got this guy and he's going to be an ace and good for him and even though like, a lot of teams didn't even like him so but still the per- public perception is they love the unknown Especially when you yeah, can yeah. have videos of of these guys striking out guys in the WBC, you know. Sure, sure. So, um, but so the last thing is, I want you to put on. I believe after talking to you that you will be in a front office somewhere, <laughs> if, if that's what you want to do. Um, but I am, and so we're sitting around the table, the president of baseball operations, and soliciting all the opinions from everybody. Said, okay, we need a pitcher. We're gonna. We're, I want you to power rank the pitchers. I want you to give me your top three guys. Oh man, there's, there's no this 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 free agent class is very unique. You have Blake Snell. You have Jordan Montgomery. You have Aaron Nola. You have Yamamoto. Um, and you have these guys and maybe some other guys that I missed. So, um, but I want you to to say, okay, here's here you go, Pobo. 
president of baseball operations. Here's my top three. This is the guys that we should prioritize. Go ahead. (laughs) This is a great question. I think you can have almost two sets of answers to this. Money, one that has to do with money, and one that doesn't. No, no. Money's, money's, this isn't, we need pitchers. We need to win. You need to win. So then you're money agnostic. We just throw any money you want. Exactly. Yeah, it's a good question. (sighs) Snell and Nola are really interesting cases where, I think if I was a front office, I would prefer to dive into the more mid-tier of pitching here and maybe stay away from them. I think I would try to get Yamamoto on less money than everyone else is giving him and see if I could just pitch my market on him. Maybe go more like a 7 for 150 to 170 and see if he'd take it. Whereas like, I know that I'm probably competing against Cone who's just going to give him 7 for 200. But like, see if he'd be willing to take a little bit less to come to my organization for the most part. So I'd... I, I don't, that's essentially me saying I'd lowball Yamamoto, right? And it will also depend on who my pitching department is. Like, if I, I would lean heavily on my pitching department to see if they think they could adjust him into being, you know, a 27 year old who's as good as Senga is right now, you know, which would then really open up your, you know, the willingness for you to pay him like $24 million AAV, you know? Like, I would try to get him for 22 to 23 and try to lowball slightly. Maybe, maybe you do the thing where you give him 10 years, you know? Like, I'll have you to your 35, but will you take 200, you know, 10 for 200 or 9 for 200 to try to get the AV down and spread it out a little more? Um, Maybe this is getting into a little bit too much of the front office answer. But I I don't – like, the thing is, like, at the end of the day, like, I know I'm presenting the case for anti-Yamamoto, but he's the youngest pitcher on the market, you know? And, like, I I love splitters. So, like, I I don't mind getting him. I just think it's a little bit tougher if you go, like, 6 for 200, you know, and you get him until he's 31. It's like – I don't know. What if he ages well? You know, what if he's Senga and like, even though we have some injury concerns around him, maybe he's pitching really well until he's 32, 33, and then you deal with the injury stuff. Um, my power rank, I guess, would be, uh, it's tough. Like, Nola is an interesting one. He's innings eater. I'm a slightly concerned with Nola that he's going to have to adjust his timing again. He was one of the oh, longest I saw pitchers. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I don't know if teams are considering that, but I, I definitely would think about it from like a workload By standpoint. By the way, I, 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 listen, we're all one big happy podcast family, right? <laughs> so it's, um, but I will say this, is that if you want to go back, Matt Strom, we did a podcast with Matt Strom, um, when was it? It was the middle of the year. It was when he was also ranting about beer sales. Um, <laughs> and, and, and uh, but he was he was one of the first ones that I had heard say what you had surfaced on Twitter X um, about hey pitch clock. I think that foul territory that was a conversation yeah, yeah. Foul territory. And um, but Matt Strom was saying like this is people understand we're going to break down. We're going to break down. We're going to break down. And I would love. I haven't had the time to do it. Um, and I probably wouldn't do a good job of it, but there is absolutely some analysis just to say, Hey, listen, this is what happened this year. Because like I said, go back, Strom, this was, this is probably May and May. And he's, he was saying, we're going to break down, like go watch June, July, August. You're going to see more pitchers break down because this is going faster. Um, and so I, and then Kenley Jansen said the same thing to me. And almost unsolicited. So you yeah, know it's permanent. super long to the plate. He was thinking like 24 seconds. Right. Well, yeah. And he adjusted, right? So um, he had to adjust. But yeah. it, but I think that this was permeating throughout the pitchers in baseball. I mean, they, we we can say it was better for baseball, but the pitchers, yeah, sure. this, was, this was the reason why, Lance, the pitch clock wasn't there before because pitchers don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. 
I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Aaron Nola. Uh, so I'll just I'll put it this way. Okay, we're gonna put Yamamoto. I'm bad at power rankings. You can see, you call me off guard here. So I'm trying to run through my. No, head. no, Yamamoto number one. So I have here. Here it is. Basically, I'm going to give you three guys to two spots. And I know that you said you deal in the mid-level guys, but yeah, these yeah. are the guys everyone's talking about. It's the Snell, Lenola, Montgomery. Yeah. How would you rate them? I think I take uh, I think I take Snell one, Nola two, Yamamoto three, Montgomery four. Okay. Oh, okay. Yamamoto. And it's I mean, again, like I, I'm not looking at massive differences between these guys, but no, and all by the way, all different. Right? Yeah. They're very different pitchers. I mean, yeah. I mean, Snell's like really good stuff, like ability to mix. I think he ran into like a really high percentile outcome where he didn't have his slider early and was still really good. You know, Sarah did some good work on this on the athletic and then got his slider late. So like he just ran into like the 90th percentile outcome where he's like was good early, although he didn't have his best pitch and then got his best pitch late. And it's like, okay, that's how you win a Cy Young, right? You get a little bit of that, you know, I don't want to say luck, but you get some decent strand rates and like he was walking a ton of guys but I, I i think he's a really good pitcher i think he's a lefty i i, I like lefty excuse me i think he's lefty he's obviously a lefty <laughs> but um i like lefties i think that there's often some deception there going on that allows you to play a little above stuff and his stuff's really good um and he's done this over different time periods as well so there's something innate to him i think that's really important nola i'm slightly concerned on this adjustment thing a second time i the thing is i'd be more comfortable taking him if my front office had a plan as to how to load him from a workload standpoint in the off season, such that we would make his body more resilient to then cutting another two seconds off his time to play. Because the reality is like, I don't necessarily know if there's anything to pop up in data that would back up like this year being particularly odd for with pitch clock, et cetera. But that's another thing where if you looking really at such a high level of an average, and you don't see anything, it doesn't in my mind mean that on an individual level, there isn't, differing responses to having a shorter pitch clock. I think that's very important distinction to make where it's like, okay, we look at every pitcher in baseball and the pitch clock overall, we don't see a strong signal of it, of it having an effect, but individual instances, if a pitcher's telling you that he's more tired and breaking down throughout the year, like a Strom or someone else, like there's probably merit to that, right? Like there's many cases throughout history where in, in baseball specifically, where, you know, we hear players say something on the data side, we don't believe it. And then eventually we have something to prove it out. A great example is seam shifted wake, right? No one ever really thought that late movement was, was a thing on the data side. We heard it so much from players that eventually we then understand that seam shifted wake and seam effects and ball movement isn't all created equal and that some of it happens later in flight. And next thing you know, all the data people are like, yeah, late movement is a thing. And the scouts are like, I've been telling you that for 15 years and no one believed me. You know what I mean? And I think you run a similar situation here, right? The players are telling you that they're more taxed it makes a lot of sense. Like if, if you work out or anyone works out, you know, cut 30 seconds, cut 10%, 15% rest between your sets and see how your body feels. Like it's more, it's more strain on you. And especially when you think of that accumulating over the course of a season, it's, it's going to have some impact. I think personally, and talking to people in baseball, you know, and they're not going to say it publicly, but I know there's teams that are doing things to try to combat this. You get guys going earlier such that you have more ability to rest and shut down later. Like that's the thing is like, I want to know, for me to be confident in Aaron Nola is to know what his offseason programming looks like. How similar is it to the prior year? You know, if it's the same thing as he was doing last year, I would be maybe more hesitant. But if there's some active, like, you got to cut another two seconds off on every single one of your pitches, multiply that by every single pitch you're throwing with a runner not on base. It's like you have that much less time to get in all this work. Like, 
make me confident that your offseason prepped you to do that as opposed to you just doing the same thing you did in prior years. So that's the main thing I would ask on Aaron Nola if I was like a front office or something along those lines. It's like how receptive are you to understanding what we think your workload should be in the offseason and how early you should get going versus what you think you should be doing and are you comfortable with adjusting to what we think based on what our strength set thinks. So that's where I am on Nola. I think there's a lot of variability there. Montgomery is interesting. He's another guy where it's like he went to the Yankees and he wasn't throwing a pitch that he was comfortable with in the I think it was the sinker, right? Um, then he goes to the Cardinals, then he throws that more, and then it's good, and like everyone thinks it's a mixed thing. That's another thing where it's just a lefty being funky, I think, for the most part. And then he goes to the Rangers and like they optimize the usage again. Like he's a guy that's just tinkered enough to be good. I think I don't think he's like frontline type, but I think the fact that he pitched so well in the postseason is getting him a contract. Oh, so oh, don't you know, even get me going on the I think that's fair. Money, <laughs> how much money you can make. It's so weird. It's it's I've screamed this from the mountaintops a million different times. The dynamic of pitching well for three weeks, two weeks, whatever it is, and how much money that can make somebody, it's kind of crazy. It really yeah. is. And, and, and look at Nola. I mean, Nola was making himself a lot of money throughout the postseason. And I don't know if this this is putting a dent in it at all. He had a bad last outing. Like, he had a bad last outing. Sure. And all that does, maybe that doesn't put a dent into his earnings at all, but what it does is it it plants a a seed of doubt that that wasn't there before. And that's just one start, but it was because it was on the biggest stage. I yeah, mean, yeah. we have Avaldi doubling his contract. We have we have our guy, Joe Kelly, doubling his contract. You know, they, it's such a weird dynamic is what I'm saying. It is. So, yeah, you're right. You're true. I mean, it. People, it, it's hard to prove out whether a pitcher is going to pitch well in the postseason. I think when you see it, I think teams get a little like attracted to it, and I understand that. I guess from a team building standpoint, especially if you're confident you're going to get into the playoffs, it's like, you know, we're going to the playoffs. None of these guys have ever been in the playoffs. What are they going to be in the playoffs? It's nice to have like a Jordan Montgomery who's like, oh, he's been there. He knows how to do it. You know, I, I think there's some value in that. So. Maybe it's not as warranted as it, it is, but I do think it matters to some extent. I'm willing to kind of entertain the idea that, like, if I'm an owner or front office, it's nice to have a guy who's been there before. There's something to that. I imagine most baseball players would say the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lance, listen, you're part of the family. Anything you need from us appreciate it. uh, is, is so good. And uh, and thank you for bringing us back down to earth in terms of <laughs> this. Again, this, this, this brings me back to the Daichi Matsuzaka this guy has has eight pitches, and he has this this mystery gyro ball, and no one's going to ever be able to hit him ever, ever, ever. And then the first hitter up against him in spring training is the punter from Boston College who hit, rifles a double down the left field line. So, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if it's going to be Dice K. I think he's no. going to – he's a higher floor than Dice K, I'll say. Yeah, but we'll see. I, I'm fascinated to see how he does. I'm happy to be wrong if I'm wrong and he dominates from the – yeah, and he's the best pitcher in baseball for four years. But we'll see, man. There's always a chance, right? Probabilistic outcomes. You never know. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Lance.